when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation and welcome to just pod baby on this thursday night the 4th of february 2021 i'm your host evan Grote. you can follow me on twitter at egrote5 make sure you do that wow february 4th how'd it get here so fast fellas here's your reminder valentine's day is next weekend Get the reservations made now. Don't forget the flowers and the chocolates. Maybe a nice little gift. Just looking out for you. That's my warning to you. JPB is brought to you by Silver and Black Today. Part of Raider Nation Radio on 920 AM in Vegas. That is the flagship station for your Las Vegas Raiders. You can hear me now every Thursday. I join Scott as his co-host, Scott Gilbranson, that is. And if you're a fan of the show, you like the podcast, you like the radio show, call us up. Get in on the conversation. We'd love to hear from you guys. Also, check us out at the website, silverandblacktoday.com. Hope everyone out there is doing well. The final game of the 2020 season is upon us this weekend. The Tampa Bay Bucks versus the defending Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. Looks like the Vegas Sportsbook have the Chiefs as the three-point favorites in this game. It is a three-point spread. Despite the fact that the Bucks are the home team, the first time ever in history that the Super Bowl is being played at one of the participants' home field. Never been done before. So that certainly adds another layer to the game. But but look, th- this one is, is all about the quarterbacks. You've been hearing about it all week long in preparation for the game. The passing of the torch, if you will. The GOAT, Tom Brady, uh, as, he, as he makes his last stand uh, or, or one of his last stands against the new chosen one, Patrick Mahomes, but don't overlook some of the other players in this game. There's there's a lot of talent that are that is going to be on the field for both teams. We know how loaded the Chiefs are on offense with Kelsey and Hill and Edwards Alaire, all their different weapons that they have, and, and the great mind of Andy Reid's uh, Andy Reid calling the plays. But don't be mistaken; they've got some ballers on that defense as well. Chris Jones is a stud. Tyron Matthew always plays well in these big games. And the Bucks, they can match the Chiefs' attack on offense. They've got some other, um, some other, some stars uh, on their offense as well, and you know they can hold their own on defense as well um, when they need to. So I'm expecting this to be a, a really good game. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I've talked with some other people who maybe are, are are not as enthusiastic about this game because we've seen Brady in this game so many times recently and because the Chiefs were just there last year. But I think this should be a good one. Uh, I do think when it's all said and done, though, it will be the Chiefs who are once again crowned champions uh, of, the, of the NFL. Uh, their second in, in as many years, and, and Andy Reid will now cement himself as, as a future Hall of Fame coach. Um, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow, though, for Raider fans. As I talked about last week on the show, you know, seeing the Chiefs possibly get another ring, it's just it's going to be it's going to be tough to take. Uh, but this is the reality of of what we as Raider fans are dealing with right now with the Chiefs. They're they're absolute juggernaut, and they're not going anywhere. They're they're not. 
as long as the combination of Reed and Mahomes are together, this team is going to be competitive and they're going to continue to be a problem in the AFC West and for the entire NFL as a whole. Now, on tonight's show, there's a lot to get into tonight. We're going to discuss the release of the new ESPN 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL that is debuting tonight. So I hope everyone has a chance to uh, check that out. I did get a, a chance to to preview it earlier in the week. I was able to get a, a, an advanced copy so that I could speak on it here on the show and and with Scott on Raider Nation Radio. It's it's very good. I was very I was very impressed. I really didn't know what to think. Um, I'll give you a few of my thoughts on that a little bit later on. Uh, also in the show, we will we, we will put the put a bow on the senior bow senior bowl. Excuse me. Uh, with our guest, Austin Gale, who is the Associate Director of Content at Pro Football Focus. He's also the host of his own podcast, Two for One Draft Podcast. It's a good one. If those of you out there looking for some more content as we get a little closer to the draft, I recommend you go out there and subscribe to that one. But tonight we begin with news that came down Tuesday evening from front of the show and last week's guest here on Just Pod Baby, Vinny Bonsignor, making some waves again this week. Last week it was his story about Nelson Aguilar's locker room uproar, and this week he broke some more news that multiple NFL sources indicate that Derek Carr is a hot commodity and uh, that it is expected that multiple teams will pursue the quarterback via trade, and, and and that in turn could lead to the Raiders pursuing Deshaun Watson in a absolute blockbuster trade. Um, now, before I go any further, let, let's clear thing, some things up because I was on Twitter last night kind of going back and forth with some, some people out there. I'm not sure if any of you are listeners to the show, but a uh, couple things. Are the Raiders currently shopping Derek Carr? No, they are not. Our team's calling the organization about him, yes, those are two totally different things. So let's make sure we put that out there right now. The Raiders are not shopping the quarterback, but they are doing their due diligence by at least listening to what other teams may be interested in as far as what they want to offer for him, okay? Second, I know for at least the last two seasons, the off seasons, we have heard from the media that the Raiders were looking into other options at quarterback, right? We, we heard all about it. I recall leading up to the 2019 draft that year was Kyler Murray was the top pick. We kept hearing that maybe a trade-up scenario was in the cards for the Raiders. That did not happen. And then last year, it was all the talk about Tom Brady as the free agent. Uh, that never happened as well. So, yes, I, I, I am very well aware that we have heard this before and that it has not happened, Okay. Um, now correct me if I'm wrong though, and please let me know on Twitter if I'm wrong. I don't recall a time where you had one of the Raiders insiders, one of the Raiders beat writers reporting that something like this was happened. I mean, usually when this happened, it was coming more so from national media. If you have, uh, if you have a rebuttal to that, please feel free to let me know. But I, I just don't recall a guy like Vic Tafer reporting it or, or, or one of the insiders. Again, I could be wrong, but that's just what I recall. Now, getting back to my my second point there, I also know that we have heard from from Coach Gruden and Mike Mayock um, praising Derek Carr and, and expressing their content with the quarterback. Right? I mean, as much as the media want to try wants to try to spin it that there's some sort of division there. That doesn't seem to be the case based on the comments that they've made about the quarterback. But we have also heard both of those two men talking about looking to upgrade anytime it was it's possible at any position 
quarterback or not, if they believe it's an upgrade at the position, they're going to they're gonna uh, do their due diligence. We've heard them say that. And I think that we can all agree in this case, whether you think it's the right move or not, it is an upgrade at the position. I have not had one person tell me that they don't believe Watson is a better quarterback than Carr. I think we can all agree that. So now just getting back to what Vinny was suggesting. In his report, he suggests that it's possible the Raiders could get at least two first-round picks for Carr. Okay, because right now the quarterback market is hot. We just saw the trade between the Lions and the Rams. Uh, Jared Goff going to the the Lions and, and what the, what the Rams gave up to acquire Matthew Stafford. And I know that the the big contract of Goff played a role in all that, but the quarterback market is hot right now. They might the Raiders may be wise if if they do think. Watson is somebody they want to pursue to try to see what they could get for Carr. Now, keep in mind, Carr is coming off one of his better years of his career. So there's, again, maybe they could take advantage of that, right? There's many teams right now who are in need of a quarterback. He mentioned, uh, Vinny mentioned the Colts and the Saints as possibilities. I don't know so much about the Saints. I think they might be content with Mariota rather than giving up draft picks, but I could be wrong. I think the Bears would make a lot of sense as well. I don't think they, there's no way they could be content with with Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, they got a playoff team right there. They're already in the playoffs and they got a mess at the quarterback position. So you bring in a guy like Carr, that could really help them. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the logic is that the Raiders would then take those picks they acquire from Carr and put them along, uh, uh, package them along with additional picks for a guy like Deshaun Watson. Or this could all be done... In, in a three-team blockbuster deal, however, you know, it gets worked out. And there's a lot that needs to happen, right? So so those of you who really want to see this happen, don't get your hopes up quite yet. Very, very early uh, in the early stages of, of, you know, these kinds of developments. Now, I was texting with our good friend Mo Moten, who was my co-host all throughout the season on Monday nights, the re- the recap episodes. Him and I were talking about this last night. He He's usually pretty good with his assessment of these types of things. That's why we call him Mostradamus. But he does not believe a trade will happen. And there's a couple of reasons that he gave me why he thinks it won't happen. But one of those reasons is he thinks the Texans, he thinks they're going to try to play hardball with Watson. And, and maybe not even trade him at all and see if if Watson truly will stand his ground and just sit out and miss games. So that was one of the things Mo had to say. I thought that was pretty interesting, so I wanted to share that with you guys. You know, nobody knows what will happen truly. My feelings, I made them known on social media um, the other night. Th- those of you who, who don't follow me, I'll, I'll give them to you right now. I would like to see a deal happen. And, and and it's not that I don't like Carr. I think Carr is a, a serviceable serviceable quarterback. Um, he can can they get to the playoffs with Carr? Absolutely. But you know how I feel about uh, the NFL and, and that it's a quarterback driven league. And, and that I think in order to be a consistent contender, you either have to have consistent elite quarterback play or a top notch defense. And the Raiders right now don't have either one of those, which kind of explains why they're an eight and eight team right? They don't have the elite quarterback. They don't have a great defense and they're kind of just in no man's land. So if you got to get one of those things, okay? And and so if they have an opportunity to get the quarterback, I say you do so. If you can get two ones for Derek Carr and then package one or even two more for, for Watson, so we're talking three or four first round picks, I feel comfortable doing that. Now I'm not the general manager. I'm just a fan, but that's just my opinion. And I think that they can do that 
and I wouldn't feel that they're neglecting to address the main issue on this team, which I understand is the defense. I know the defense is the problem. It is not the top 10 offense. I fully understand that. But if you have an opportunity to get one of the game's best quarterbacks at the age of 25, you're set at that position for the next 10 to 12 years. And you don't even have to think about it. You're set. You just keep building that defense and you just continue to support him with players on that offense. And you're set to go. You're set to go. Now, I am not convinced by the argument that people are making to me out there on Twitter that the defense cannot improve unless you have first-round picks. I'm just not convinced. Unless those picks are consistently top five picks, which, in, for example, this, this year, it's a 17th overall pick. Hopefully the Raiders are not selecting in the top five anytime soon, right? Those, those 17th overall, that 22 overall, 24 overall, where hopefully where the Raiders are picking here in the near future, those picks aren't guaranteed to work out. I know the jury's still very much out on the first five, on the uh, five first round picks that the, that the team has had between 2019 and 2020. So I'm not going to sit here and say they won't develop into good players. I really hope they do, and I think they will. But other than Josh Jacobs, right now, can you sit there and tell me that you feel confident that any one of those players will, will be a pro bowler? I mean, those were all first-round picks. To, to not make a pro bowl? I mean, we don't know. It's possible. But right now, none of those guys ha- are, are, have shown any signs of life. Abram, Arnett. Farrell, I mean, okay, Farrell has has shown some signs, okay? He can stop the run, but as far as a pass rusher, he doesn't he doesn't bring anything to the table in his first two seasons. So, I'm not going to sit here and say that you need those first-round picks. I think you can make the argument that when we're talking about the young players from those last two draft classes, the guys who have provided the most consistent production are guys who were chosen in rounds two and beyond. Trayvon Mullen, Hunter Renfro, Max Crosby, Alec Ingold, who was an undrafted guy. I mean, even Foster Morrow, who in his first year was excellent. Then they brought in Jason Witten, who took all of his time and, and you know didn't do much last year. But I'm expecting another really productive year from him in year three. So I don't want to hear any more that the round one picks are too valuable. You can't get these picks up. Until I see them start hitting home runs with some of these first round picks, then I'm totally comfortable with trading them away for a guy, a stud like Deshaun Watson. You can still find plenty of players who can come in and help the defense on days two and three in the draft. I see other teams doing it every year. Why can't the Raiders do it? Now, as far as free agency is concerned, the plan remains the same for 2021. You can free up some money if you need to. You can part ways with Trent Brown if that's what they want to do. I still like Trent Brown. Tyrell Williams is out there. He can't be brought back. I I just don't see any way. Mariota, Richie Incognito, there there is money to be freed up there. Go out and sign a stud on the defensive line. You have to do it. You have to bring in a veteran that is a difference maker on that defensive line, an alpha dog. Okay, and then and then you got to bring somebody in the secondary. 
whether it's a safety or a cornerback, a guy who is is entering the prime of his career or in the prime of his career right now and can can provide a an instant impact and some veteran leadership out there. There's there's plenty of young pieces on this defense. And they just need to continue to develop. I'm not ready to give up on them, but you need to bring in some proven talent and 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 Combine that with the hopes that those young guys take a step, and you combine that with Gus Bradley and his system, and I think automatically right there you have a much more improved defense. And it's not about being a top twenty defense. I I don't need the Raiders to be a top twenty defense in the league next year, as far as points allowed are concerned. That would be great, but it's more about being opportunistic, creating some more turnovers, creating some more pressures. Keep in mind that 2016 team that went 12 and four, the one that we all want to, you know, think about and and never forget because that was the last time they were any good. They didn't have a very good defense either. They allowed 24 points a game, but they were opportunistic. They got the ball back to the offense, extra possessions. That makes a big deal. And that those are the type of things that needs to happen for this defense. And I know it's not as easy as it sounds. I get it. I'm making it sound like oh they're not that far off. That's not what I'm saying. But I do expect just some natural improvements on defense next year. Uh, Some of these second-year guys are going to have another year under their belt. Hopefully they come back healthy. Hopefully they're not worrying about this COVID issue next season. And I I just think Gus Bradley is a much more competent uh, defensive uh, uh, play caller. So, um, you know, those are some of my thoughts there. I I do expect some improvements on defense, and, and I think... That can happen at the same time if the team decides to trade for Deshaun Watson. Both can happen at the same time. Don't feel that it has to be one or the other. It can be both. Now, the real question is, will it happen? I'd say right now, no, it's not going to happen. It's more so just just off-season speculation, maybe, you know... Just looking to get fans a little bit riled up, right? I'm not. I'm not saying that's what Vinny's doing. Obviously, Vinny is in the know. But but as far as some of these other outlets that might start to pop up, and you're going to hear more and more about this, you know, it's off season talk. This happens a lot. But it's very early on in the game right now. The Texans have been pretty firm in their stance that they do not want to trade Watson, and Gruden has also been pretty, you know, firm in, in his confidence that he likes Derek Carr. So right now, it doesn't seem like anything is is imminent at all. In fact, but I do think, and we all know Gruden, and I think in the back of his mind, he will always wonder, you know, what could his offense be like. You know, with a guy like Watson under center, I think we all we we could all agree that Carr is definitely the most talented quarterback that Gruden has ever worked with. Now he might be thinking, "Wow, if I can even improve on that, I thought it was nice with Carr. What would it be like with a guy like Watson?" Right? Those are the thoughts that I think are going through Gruden's mind. We we saw a glimpse of what a mobile quarterback could do in the small sample size that we got from Mariota this season when he when he hopped in there during that. Uh, I think it was the was it the Miami game? Played like three quarters. So, you know, those are some things that I think might be might be you know going on in Gruden's head. Now, Watson to me just fits the mold of the prototypical quarterback in today's NFL. When I think about the direction that the league is going in, especially at the position of quarterback, he's he's the first person that comes to mind. Guys like him, guys like Mahomes, 
these young guys who can who can do it all. He can make throws with the best of them. Uh, whether he's in the pocket, whether he's out of the pocket, he he he's just a natural mover. He 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 feels pressure. He can extend plays, run for first downs. He's great leadership skills. He's got winning pedigree from his time at Clemson, and let's not let's not overlook that either. He's a Clemson Tiger. We know that we know the relationship there. So, um, I do think that this will be something that. Um, you know, as these talks continue to go on and on, and they're going to throughout the offseason, you know, will Gruden be able to hold himself back? That that's really what I think it's gonna come down to. Because um, you know, when you when you have a chance to grab a quarterback, to pick up a quarterback, this doesn't these these types of things, these types of players do not come available all the time. So I, I think that'll be something that Gruden thinks about um, you know, long and hard here in the offseason. Now, please reach out to me on Twitter. Let me know what you think. If you think I'm nuts, I'm sure you're going to let me know about it. But I, I, I do love the conversation. So please let me know what you're thinking. Uh, and we're going to get to our first break right now. When we return, we're going to chat with Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus. Be right back. We are back here, segment two of Just Pod Baby. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Let's shift gears now to the Senior Bowl. We, we talked a bit about it last week, but I do want to put a bow on it tonight. And, and to do that, let's welcome in our guest this week. Austin Gale joins us. Uh, Austin is uh, the Associate Director of Content at Pro Football Focus, and he's also the host of his own podcast, Two for One Draft. So I encourage you to go out there and subscribe to his show as well. Austin, long time no talk. How are you, my friend? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Now, each year I like to try to get Austin on this time of year, uh, you know, just after the Senior Bowl. I think he's one of the best guys out there doing the the draft coverage when it, you know when it comes to, to getting us the information that we need about all these prospects coming out. But before we get into some talk about the Senior Bowl and just the draft in general, I know that up right now at Pro Football Focus is the 2021 draft guide for Edge and Elite subscribers only. Tell us a little bit about the type of undertaking it is for you and the guys over at the site to create something of that magnitude. And in addition to the, you know, all the great analytic information we get, what are some other types of uh, information that the readers can expect to find in that draft guide? Yeah, man, the draft guide's nuts. So my podcast co-host, Mike Renner, you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. He and I kind of manage the project and try to get it done. And, and for the first version, we come out with 150 players with, I think, three to four page profiles on every single of the every single one of those players. And a lot of it is you know, background information. I do a lot uh, all of the analysis on like their recruiting process, what happened before they got to college and some off-field stuff if there is information on that. And then he'll do a lot of the analysis of their play in college. And then there's it's also loaded with a ton of a ton of data from the previous three years of college. This year we added a new feature with heat maps to show routes run for receivers, targeted routes for receivers, uh, routes run for quarterbacks and the targets the, the routes they actually target. A lot of cool uh, visualizations in this year's draft guide as well. I think um Firmly recommended. I think there's also comps in there, round projections, that stuff. But it gets a lot better, too, as we kind of update it throughout the draft season. There's another update coming on Monday where we add 50 more players. And then um, in March sometime, we'll probably get it from 200 to 300 players, add team overviews and all this stuff. So it's a fun process. We love doing it. It's a great reason. If you like the draft, I think it's a good, it's a good opportunity for sure, for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's, that sounds awesome. And I, and I like the idea that you guys are constantly updating it throughout the process. That's a that's great to know. And uh, if you're currently not a subscriber of, of Pro Football Focus right now, they are offering 25% off right now. So make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, all right, let, let's let's move on now to the to the Senior Bowl. Um, one of the groups, uh, position groups I want to talk to you about is the wide receivers. They were um, the group that really shined, I think, uh, throughout the week with Dwayne Eskridge and Kadarius uh, Tony and Nico Collins had a nice week. But the guy I want to ask you about is UCLA's Demetric Felton. I was really impressed by this kid. He's a player that I didn't really know a lot about before the senior week. Uh, give us some of your thoughts on Felton and, and what do you think the future holds for him in the NFL? Yeah, Felton's awesome, man. I mean, he's a former four-star wide receiver that was originally recruited to UCLA to play wide receiver, and he actually played, I think, over 400 snaps in the slot for them in 2018. But then in 2019 and 2020, they asked him to bulk up a little bit. I think he got over 205 pounds and played running back at UCLA in 2019 and in 2020. He obviously is ready to commit to receiver because you saw him drop back down to 189 pounds, I think, where he weighed in at, at the Senior Bowl. I think he wants to kind of recommit himself as this slot type. I think the comparisons you're seeing right now for Demetrius Felton or Naheem Hines is an option, even something like a bigger Tariq Cohen. But, but I, I, see, I see him more as a slot receiver in the NFL. Maybe, yes, you could use him in the backfield, but you're not running a 189-pound running back in the NFL. I'm sorry. Like you, you, you need to keep that guy out in the slot, get him out in space. But he might have been the most advanced route runner or at least successful route runner of any of the receivers down there in Mobile. And he was a former running back. Like, that was what was really impressive. He did a really good job in the one-on-ones. And for those who, you know, watch the Senior Bowl, the biggest opportunity really are those one-on-ones for wide receivers and corners, and then also the one-on-ones in pass rush for offensive and defensive linemen. That's where there's a lot of opportunity to see a player's skill set and how they compare to other NFL-caliber competition. You saw it with Felton, and he beat the doors off a lot of guys there in Mobile. Yeah, he was making some of those defenders look look pretty silly. And yeah, you mentioned the, the Naeem Hines uh, comp. That is the one that I keep hearing as well. Now, uh, the Raiders, they have a couple of different positions where they need to get some help on that defense, especially. Uh, obviously, the defensive line could use some help both on the edge and in on, uh, the interior. Uh, who were some guys that you think helped themselves out with a strong week down in Mobile that may not be an option for the Raiders at pick 17, but maybe in round two or, or, or beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a handful of defensive linemen that kind of improved their stocks. No one bigger, though, than Osa Odigizua, the younger brother of former Giants edge defender Owa Odigizua. This guy's a, a big defensive tackle that, you know, rushed with some juice from the interior. He's also, his background's nuts. He never lost as a wrestler in high school. Like, he legitimately never lost, I think, in three or four years of playing the game and, like, literally never lost the match. He's also a squatty frame, a guy that can rush the passer well. I think he is going to play his best football in the NFL, because at UCLA, they asked him to kind of play head up on the tackle, rush, you know, a three-man rush. Like, you're not seeing a lot of one-on-ones in that situation. Him in the one-on-ones was very, very good. I also really like uh, Cameron Sample, the two-lane edge that played a lot on the inside. He's a bit undersized, a bit of a tweener, but a guy on day three that you can feel confident coming in as a rotational piece. And then Boogie Basham is probably the more – going to be the higher drafted guy of all the guys down there in Mobile along the defensive line. I was really impressed with him. I think he has multi-gap versatility. You can play him on the interior. You can play him at wide nine. And I think his best football is ahead of him, too, because I think his technique still needs to get a lot better. He's a big edge defender that can win by bullying guys, but still tries to beat people with speed and beat people with uh, on the edge, on the outside. I think he can get better 
with proper technique and a defensive line coach in the NFL. Austin Gale is our guest tonight on Just Pod Baby, Associate Director of Content at Pro Football Focus. He's also the host of his own podcast, Two for One Draft. Make sure you go out there and subscribe to that. Now, the secondary for the Raiders could also use some work, really all three levels of the Raiders' defense, but um, when when you they need to find someone that can play alongside Jonathan Abram, the name I kept hearing about from the week uh, at the Senior Bowl is, is Richie Grant out of UCF. What did you see from him, and, and was there any other secondary players that stood out to you? Yeah, I really like Richie Grant, the safety at UCF. I think he's a guy that can play a ton of different positions in the NFL. I think he can be in the box, he can play deep safety, he can come down, play the slot, play outside. He's not the biggest safety prospect. Like I think the best way to describe him is he's not great at anything. He's not really big, he's not really long, he's not fast, but he's kind of good at everything else. You know, he's kind of like a master of none in a lot of ways, where he's just a damn good football player that at the top of day two you feel really confident putting the card in with his name on it because he can do so much for your defense. He can play so many different things and play them well. I think another defensive back that impressed me, Thomas Graham, the Oregon cornerback, I think he showed a lot of fluidity with his hip, patience in coverage. I thought he was impressive. But outside of those two guys, it was tough to find a really talented defensive back there. It wasn't a very talented group of defensive backs. The other name that I think I liked was Trey, Trey Norwood. Or no. Yeah, Trey Brown, actually, of uh, Oklahoma, I thought played well. And then Ifatu Melifonwu, which I know Raiders fans are well aware of. Oh, no, not a Melifonwu. (laughs) Ifatu Melifonwu, though, is not physical, just like Obi Melifonwu, but is big, long, athletic, and is good at outside corner. I think Obi Melifonwu in the NFL, and I think he's still tripping around practice squads now, but I think Obi would have played better at outside corner because you don't need to be physical. You don't need to be this tough, presence in the box at outside corner you can get away with being a somewhat bad tackler or lacking physicality as long as you can stick with guys and if Asimilofano can do that I think he's, he'll be a guy that when his testing numbers come out everyone's going to lose their mind because he's long he's tall and athletic and when he throws out that broad jump and the 40-yard dash people are going to be sprinting it in thinking they can turn him into a valuable starter in the NFL. Yeah, I think some Raider fans are still having nightmares with uh, Obi Melanfanwu, but uh, anyhow, we'll give his brother a pass, I guess. Let, let's pivot now, and I want to I want to chat with you about some of the underclassmen in this year's draft. I want to ask you about a, a trio of edge rushers: uh, Gregory Rousseau, Quiddy Pay, and Azim Ojolari. I know Ojolari was a guest on your podcast recently. Now, the issue that I have with some of these pass rushers is, is that I'm hearing a lot about the upside that these guys have, and and maybe that they they're going to need a little bit more development rather than just being a true plug-and-play kind of guy, and I think that's what the Raiders need right now is a guy who can come in and immediately help them. How do you feel about these guys? How do you have them stacked up, and do you think that they project well to the next level? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This edge group, there's a lot of guys with great tools, great potential, big ceilings, but not necessarily guys that have proven production in college football. There's no Chase Young in this class. I think the guy you feel most confident about contributing right out of the gate it's probably either Quiddy Pay or Carlos Basham Jr. Because Gregor Rousseau, who is probably edge one on a lot of people's boards, hasn't played football in over a year and also only played his redshirt freshman season at Miami, Florida. Like he only has one year under his belt playing college football. As long as he is, as athletic as he is, I know he's like comparing the Jadavion Clowney and just how freaky of an athlete he is. You still haven't seen it from him yet, and that's what gets me nervous about bringing in Gregory Rousseau. You're going to have to mold him into the player you want him to be because right now you just haven't seen it. He played a ton of different positions at Miami, uh, similar to how the Texans used uh, Jadavion Clowney when he was with them, and even Seattle where you're using him on the edge, you're using him off ball, 
for trying to create these one-on-ones for him. That was what it was like he was used at Miami, Florida. So it'll be interesting with Gregory Rousseau. I also really like Jason Owe, who's another toolsy pass rusher that apparently can run in the four threes. He probably ends up clocking in the four fives, four fours, but a guy that has a ton of speed, a ton of juice, might be the freakiest guy in the class right next to Gregory Rousseau. But again, not a lot of proven production in college football. A guy that will be drafted for his traits and hopefully the player you need him to be and can develop him to be. Yeah, I had one of your colleagues on a couple weeks ago, Anthony Trash, and, and Trash. yeah, and I was talking to him about uh, Gregory Rousseau, and I think the word he used was sometimes sacks can be a, a, what he calls a loud stat, and um, what he means is that uh, you know Gregory Rousseau was was a lot of those sacks that he had in that that really good year he had was were some uh, cleanups, right, where he kind of just happened to be there. He wasn't necessarily winning, uh, beating his man off the edge and things like that. So I, I do worry about a guy like Rousseau now. Now, Austin, it seems like every year uh, each draft class has its strengths and its weaknesses. Last year, if you were in the market for a wide receiver, uh, there was a very good chance that you you could get one in that in that draft. Uh, the, the 2018 class, of course, was was rich at quarterback. Where do you see the strength and the weaknesses in this year's class? I, I do think that it's a very good receiver class. I also think the tackle class is very very good. Uh, quarterback, I mean, quarterback starts with quarterback. This is one of the best quarterback classes we've really seen in a long time. I think you're going to see three, maybe four guys go inside the top five, top six picks. And for very good reason, if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this class, there would be a legitimate conversation between Fields and Wilson for the number one and number two picks. But because Lawrence is in this class, it's going to push things down a bit. But I still think you end up seeing four or five quarterbacks uh, go in the first round, if not the top 10, top 15 picks. After that, I think wide receiver, very good. Offensive tackle is talented. And then it kind of gets slim picking. This is not a good interior defensive line class. It's a very toolsy edge rusher class. Linebacker, there is some talent. I like David Collins, Micah Parsons, Nick Bolton. There is some Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Like linebacker, this is one where there's some athletes at the top that you can feel pretty confident investing in. It just depends on how you want to play them. Nick Bolton is a true in between the guards, in between the tackles, linebacker, three down tight. Damon Collins is more of a blitzer that's better fit, you know, running a diverse role. Jeremiah Usukorboa might play safety in the NFL, a little bit lighter and a little bit more explosive, could play in the slot too if you needed him to. And then Micah Parsons, yeah, he's the best, you know, he's a very good three down traditional linebacker, but I think he also will be used in a similar role to Damon Collins that he's rushing the passer on third down. So there's like kind of a, it's the pick of the litter, really, at linebacker. So I like linebacker in this class as well. So you talked about the quarterback. Let's stay on the quarterback discussion here just for a second. Every year, the quarterbacks dominate the conversation as the draft approaches. We all know about the top four to five quarterbacks in the year's, in this year's class. Let's say there's a team who who's looking for a guy where they can draft him and develop him, maybe in possibly day two or three. Uh, who are some names that we should be keeping our eye on? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are some guys that will be there day two, day three with some tools. Because when you're drafting a quarterback day two, day three, you're looking for guys that could develop into better players in the NFL with tools, with arm talent, size, athleticism, whatever it may be. I think two guys stand out to me. I think starts with Jamie Newman, the former Wake Forest quarterback that's transferred to Georgia but did not play in 2020 due to COVID-19 concerns. He did not have a good senior bowl, got sacked five times in the game on Saturday. It, it looks like he just hasn't played football in a long time. And he, to be frank, he hasn't. I think Jamie Newman maybe falls to day three at this point, but has the tools and some of the success you saw at Wake Forest to potentially invest in on that pick and, and see if you can turn him into a better player in the pros. And then 
You also have Kellen Mond, who is a guy who's like a former five-star, one of the most coveted recruits when he was coming out, has some arm talent himself. I think he's another guy, too, where there are some tools there, there are some things there you like about Kellen Mond, but he just hasn't played the position all that well. Felipe Franks is another guy, the former Florida quarterback that went to Arkansas this season, had one of the better seasons we've seen from Felipe Franks and has an absolute cannon. But can you get him to play the position well? Can you get him to play quarterback well and win football games? That would take development in the NFL. Austin Gale is our guest tonight, Associate Director of Content at Pro Football Focus. Just one more I have for you, Austin. And I know that before we got on the air here tonight, we were talking about how January is one of the busiest months of the year for you. And um, I'm not sure if you've had time to complete a mock draft yet yourself, but what I'm asking you to do here is to put on your, your Mike Mayock general manager hat here for a second. Tell us, if you're making the pick at 17, and of course this is pre-free agency, uh, who is the pick for the Raiders at, at 17 overall? Yeah, I think it's it's probably one of the toolsy edge defenders. I like Quiddy Pay at 17. I like um, Gregor Rousseau at t- 17. I think I would even throw Aziz Ojolari in there at 17. Or cornerback could fall if you see Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley fall to 17. I think Denver's going to jump on one, but one of those guys fall to 17. I'm going to sprint the card in over a pass rusher. And then linebacker is one where you constantly see the mock. But I do not love the value of a Jeremiah Wusu koromoa at 17. And I don't think Parsons will fall that far. So I think you're looking at corner or pass rusher there at 17. Um, and I had – if a corner's there, one of the top two guys, and Caleb Farley or um, Patrick Sertan, you jump on him. If not, I think you take the best edge defender left. Vizo Jalari could be there. You could see uh, Gregory Rousseau fall there, Quiddy Pay. That's where my mind is right now. I like where your head's at. Excellent stuff there, Austin Gale, as always. Thanks again for hopping on with us. Make sure you go out there and you follow Austin on Twitter. Uh, you follow his podcast, Two for One Draft, and, and, you're, and you get yourself a subscription to Pro Football Focus. Austin, thanks for the time tonight. I really appreciate it, man. Keep up all the great work. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so that was our guest, Austin Gale. And like I said, I like to get Austin on at least once a year. I think he's come on now three times, so... Uh, always fun chatting with him, and he really knows his stuff. He does a great job with his uh, draft analysis and also with with the work he does at Pro Football Focus. So, And make sure, you, like I said, tune into that podcast of his. It's a really good one. Him and uh, I think Mike Renner is his name, uh, his co-host. Uh, I've listened to it a few times myself, uh, especially around this time of the year, draft. Uh, a lot of good information coming from those guys. Uh, okay, before we before we wrap up the show, I do want to give you some quick thoughts here on the ESPN 30 for 30 film, Al Davis versus the NFL. If you listen to Raider Nation Radio today, you heard Scott and I have a chance to uh, chat with the director of the film, Ken Rogers, uh, just a really great mind in the industry. He also uh, helped direct uh, the, the Bill Belichick and Nick Saban uh, documentary that's out there. So if you saw that one, that's another really good one. And he's also, uh, you know, one of the major players in the in the production of Hard Knocks as well. So just just this guy's involved in a lot of good things. But overall, some of my thoughts, uh, I did have a chance to see it, and and I'm sure by the time, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of you guys hear the podcast, uh, you will have had a chance to see it as well. But for those of you who did not have a chance to see it, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm just going to give you some quick thoughts here before we say goodnight. Uh, first of all, listen, I, I'm only 37 years old, uh, so I, I don't, I, I may not have the recall uh, that that some of the older listeners out there have. You guys might have lived through this. Uh, I did not, you know, I, I kind of uh, recall a, a lot of the 
tail end of the the Al Davis era. So, you know, being born in 83, which was the last uh, season where the Raiders won the Super Bowl, I always say it's kind of like fate. You know, I was born in... In '83, the the last season that the Raiders uh, were, were crowned Super Bowl champs, so so not being alive for a lot of this, you know, barely old enough to remember a lot of the stuff that was going on during this time between Al Davis and the league throughout the you know the late '80s and into the the early part of the '90s, uh, you know, I just I just don't have I just don't I, you know I don't I can't recall it as well as some of you guys, but for me, uh, a lot of this was was in a way some new information, which which went really fun for me to watch, and in other parts was more of just a kind Kind of a refresher. Uh, so, so again, I apologize for, for to those of you who may be listening out there that um, again may may know a little bit more about some of this. But the thing I, I really liked most about the the film is that although you know they 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 do kind of uh, portray Davis as as maybe being a little bit ruthless, right? And I think that's how everyone kind of. Uh, outside the Raiders organization might view him, you know, uh, we view him as this, this maverick, uh, in the league and, and did so much for, for not only people of color, but, uh, you know, women in sports with Amy Trask and whatnot, hiring the first, uh, African-American coach and Art Shell and, and so on and so forth. Um, but, but, you know, it, it also shows you in this film, uh, whether or not, you know, no matter how you felt about him, uh, during this time, uh, he did what he thought was right by his team and his organization. Um, and and uh, he, he believed that the NFL was, was mistreating the Raiders and he didn't think that was fair. And, and, and that was a problem to Davis. So I, I really can't fault him for that. You know, he stood up for what he believed was right. He fought for his team, his fans. And although it did, it did uh, create a lot of controversy and brought a lot of, a lot of uh, bad press maybe to the, the league and maybe himself at the time, at the end of the day, he was fighting for, for fans like you and I. And so I, I, I can respect him for that. And, uh, one of the other takeaways that, that I, that I had from this film is, uh, anybody out there who watches it that may not have grown up a Raider fan, uh, may not understand a lot about Raider fans is going to have a very good understanding of a Raider fan after they watch this, uh, as far as, you know, why, why we feel it's kind of like us against the world every year. We feel like we're up against the entire league, why we have a chip on our shoulder. Uh, it all starts with Al Davis and his beliefs that the, again, the Raiders were not treated fairly. He, you know, he thought other owners were given preferential treatment, uh, he felt that there was some controversial things that went on, uh, specifically in those games with the Steelers back in the late seventies, the, uh, the immaculate reception game being one of them that the, that the film highlights. And, uh, one of the things that I, I'll kind of give you this little bit now, uh, one of the things that he talked about, uh, that was highlighted in the, in this film is, is after they won that, that final Super Bowl. Uh, he he's up at the podium, uh, ready to receive the the Super Bowl trophy, the Vince Lombardi trophy from Commissioner Roselle, and Roselle had more positive things to say about the Washington Redskins and how great they were that year, and uh, not so many great things about the Raiders. I mean, of course, he said good things about the Raiders, but but Gruden or not Gruden, excuse me, uh, Davis felt that. He and his organization was was disrespected in that moment, you know, on national TV after winning the Super Bowl. Uh, again, it just kind of just shows where where all that 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 stems from, and it and it goes on and on throughout the years. The Tuck Rule with the Patriots years ago, Gene Steratore and the index card. Uh, 
it goes on and on. And uh, in my opinion, that all stems from Al Davis and his his issues that he's had with the NFL. And the fan base has now kind of taken on, has carried on uh, that fight uh, in a way. So I do hope you guys all enjoy the the film as much as I did. Uh, it's on tonight. DVR it. Uh, go back and watch it again. I've already watched it a couple times myself because there's you know always things you can pick up the the second time you watch it. So I do hope you guys enjoy it. All right, everybody, that is gonna do it uh, for this week's edition of Just Pod Baby. Uh, big weekend in the football world here at Super Bowl Sunday. It's like a national, it's like a holiday here in, in the U.S. So I hope you enjoy it. And I know it's hard to stomach Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, but uh, I'm expecting a very good matchup. Try to put your uh, your dislike for the two players aside and just try to enjoy the, the greatness of these two competitors as they, as they duke it out here in the Super Bowl. For our guest, Austin Gale, I'm your host, Evan Grote. And in the words of the late, great Al Davis... Just win, baby.